and welcome to Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James. With me this week is Farrell, Ben and Jack. And we've got plenty to discuss this week as the bees were swarmed on Friday night. A fantastic <laughs> performance from Fulham. A 2-0 victory away at Griffin Park. Our first victory since our relegation to the championship. A fantastic evening had by all that were there and all that couldn't get a ticket and had to watch it at home on Sky. Not only today can you hear us, you can also see us. We're live on Facebook right now, facebook.com forward slash Fulhamish pod. And uh, we're also answering your questions as the show goes on only on Facebook. So if you want to see extra bits from the show, uh, you'll be able to watch that after the show has concluded, facebook.com forward slash Fulhamish pod. And you'll be able to see what we look like here in the studio. Myself, Farrell, Ben and Jack. Jack is back with us, fresh from his visit to Warsaw. Not Walsall, as many people did manage to get, you know, confused with. I thought you'd gone to Warsaw, and I th- and you said I'm taking my girlfriend. It's an anniversary. We're going to Warsaw, and I thought, whatever floats your boat, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think she would have been, you know, too enamoured. Shall we say <laughs> a little trip to the West Midlands? Exactly. I coincided it with Wolves away. Wolves month. away, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we actually didn't realise. But Legia Warsaw played Real Madrid. <laughs> two days after we left oh, you wouldn't have been, been able, you wouldn't have been able, to get, able to get in anyway yeah. but you know so it was a bit of a mixed emotions for me at first I was ge- devastated that this had happened and then quite relieved personally so yeah um, that's also you were there you were lucky enough to be there on Friday night uh, the first half from Fulham almost like a complete performance from us minus a couple of goals it was it was exceptional scintillating is the word I've written down here um, at times and I thought that I, I do our interplay is is sometimes stunning when, when our midfield get it right and when they do move forward as a unit and link up I know I keep banging on about it and I'm going to go on again but removing the McDonald Parker axis has been the absolute key and the fact that now we have a link up play between those three you know in attack and the two behind them and Kevin McDonald just screens behind them is is working a treat and I'm sure that at some point it will stop working I'm sure that at some point people will figure it out but currently it's completely removed the kind of backwards slow ponderous passing game that we saw at times that you know really really was frustrating to watch and even if we didn't take all of the chances and we should have we really should have been you know, three, four, and a lot after the first half, and I think that we'll we'll come back to that later. But even if we don't take it, it's nice to see us moving forward in that kind of swift, kind of fluid motions. And yeah, I was very pleased, as you can imagine. That's um, something we've been lacking so much for for five, six years now. Completely, like very swift counter-attacking, because a lot of times we sort of win the ball back and a counter's on, and then it just slows up a lot, and then the attack breaks down, and then we have to start all over again. It was quite interesting you mentioned the words McDonald screening because a lot of times that um, when Brentford did win the ball high up the pitch, they would try and counter-attack. And McDonald was just screening. He wasn't diving into tackles. He was basically trying to hold them up. And the amount of times that Brentford on the counter-attack couldn't get past McDonald, not necessarily because he was uh, trying to the tackle ball, them, yeah. but then would wait it would hold them hold them up enough so that Johansson or even Kearney and Piazzon were actually winning the ball back from them quite quite easily. Yeah. And then we were able to launch another counter-attack, which are quite a few of our attacks actually came from in the end. Correct. And Ben, we've spoken a lot on this podcast, actually when we were losing, that, I mean, we're losing, but Fulham seem to have a plan. Yeah. Now that plan is turning into results. It's wonderful to see. We've stuck with the strategy and it's, well, the last two games, it's completely paid off. Yeah, it's quite clear that we've got some sort of blueprint throughout the whole of the team. Um, And there's little nuances within the system that you can pick out that are 
that are currently working, the likes of Johansson that will push on and McDonald's will take the responsibility for screening and then the formation turns from something from a 4-2-3-1 into a 4-1-4-1 and gives us the, the, the sort of interchange throughout the front five that we really needed. And Johansson has given us that impetus to push forward and he's given us the positivity to break between the lines. And that's something that we, we've been lacking as, as Farrell for a good few years. And something that we've also been lacking is that we, we haven't played the channels for a long time. And something we notice in Brentford is that Kearney and Johansson in particular were able to pick out Aluko and Piazon down those channels. And when Aite come on um, later in the game, we've done it as well. Um, and that's where our second goal came from in the 90th minute. But what a fabulous option to have someone like Ayite um, just sitting on the bench. And it was a, a particularly great performance um, from those uh, front four, including Chris Martin, Aluko Piazon and Tom Kearney. Aluko uh, had plenty of chances. He's had the most shots in the championship, I do believe. And uh, it was a good goal, albeit at the second attempt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, something about Aluko is just that he's never stopped running ever mm. since he's got onto the pitch for us and ever since he's pulled on our shirt. He's just been one to absolutely work his socks off and the thing about him is he always ends up in the box whether it's um like to score a goal or, or to provide an assist he's always there lurking around and he's not afraid to break past the other attackers that we have whereas beforehand i feel that when he was central he didn't really like to get beyond the striker and now he's wide and can tuck in because you have fredericks and malone overlapping it allows him to get in the box a lot more which i think is another nuance of the system we've got in place yeah the fullbacks were so good again and you know, I know Scott Malone was, was singled out as man of the match and I'm sure we'll come back to Scott Malone, but I thought Fredericks was absolutely fantastic. Just not even necessarily doing anything spectacular, but just getting up and down and up and down. And what it means is that people don't panic when we lose possession because they know that our back four are going to be able to get back. And the only one time that that didn't happen was the Josh Clark chance mm-hmm. uh, where Malone had gone bombing up the pitch and Sigurdsson got a bit confused, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, he was a little bit baffled. But apart from that, you know, it was it was nice to see that we were moving up and down as a unit. And, you know, even when the the, the fullbacks were overlapping, you know, people like Aluko and, and, and Piazon get back. And something that we pulled out of, you know, at the end was that when Aluko went off and Parker came on and they pulled Kearney wide, the chances they started to get were all coming down the fact that Kearney wasn't tracking back on the left. And look, I think that, you know, Neon criticised Tom Kearney for not tracking when he went and scored the winner. Like, But at the same time, they are the kind of things that sometimes will go against you. And I think that if we're going to do that and pull three into the middle, Kearney has to remain as one of the ones in the middle because he doesn't do the running that you need at that kind of stage in the game. Yeah, yeah. There's so quite, sorry, there's quite a correlation between our upturning results and then Kearney being moved into the middle. Completely. Like yeah. as much as Kearney is a great talent, especially going forward and creates so many chances, like the fact that he doesn't work back as much as we'd like him to is, is detrimental to the team. There was one game, uh, an away game, a couple of months ago, where he was playing on the wing and we were drawing. I can't, I, honestly, I cannot remember which game it was. I think we were drawing the game and everything was going through down Kearney's side. He was playing on the wing. And the reason, I, I fully believe the reason why we didn't end up losing that game because he was pulled off with 10 minutes to go. And then all of a sudden we were actually defending properly again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, he's an incredible talent and probably Fulham's best player by, you know, technically. But I think he just has to remain central because he doesn't do the running and the legs. And, you know, if you actually look on the website, if you look on the Fulhamish website, there's a, a latest article up there by yours truly called The Future <laughs> of the Armband. And it's about the fact that, 
you know, you see Scott Parker every time he loses the ball, goes bombing back after it and tries to win it back. And, you know, there's Kenny Young and, you know, petulant, shall we say, but and that will come with maturity and responsibility. But at the moment, I don't think that's what you want from, you know, the man wearing the armband. I don't mind if the man wearing the armband isn't the one scoring in the 90th minute. I want him to be the one mm. tracking their right back as he bombs forward down the wing if there's a gap. And, you know, that's an interesting one. But, you know, shout out to Tom Kenny for being Tom Kenny. Yeah. You don't know what these players are like, though, behind the scenes, though. They could be the best role models. Oh, of course, yeah. And I fully believe he's a lovely yeah. bloke. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, Tom, we do like you loads. <laughs> you know, we don't want to slag you off. We have been talking about for weeks about how Tom Kenny should be playing in the middle. Perhaps. Yeah, completely. Slavica's been listening to the podcast. Yeah, it's just a simple reshuffle. We should just listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just... We've got everything right so yeah. far. <laughs> I hope your career's subscribed on iTunes or Audio Boom, whichever platform he does like. Uh, and speaking of Slav, he kept that same 11 that beat Huddersfield, uh, which seemed uh, the obvious choice, but... There's been lots of times, actually, where we have played well, where then Slav has made a host of changes in the next game. Um, do you think that he will continue with this 11 until maybe uh, teams figure us out? But for the moment, he seems to have a bit of a crystal plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you can't see him changing a, a winning formula as such unless there's there's an injury. And one thing about the international break now and I was looking at what players are going out on international duty and actually if you look at it it's Martin Johansson Callas are the three going out on international duty and if any of those gets injured we could be in trouble per se purely because they form the kind of core now they form the you know the spine of the team down the middle that we that we work from and I think that if any of those get injured, then we're going to have to look at reshuffling the system. But until that point, I don't see why you would. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned about injuries because in some positions, there is great depth. Right. Uh, attacking mid, Blumenek, we've got oh, yeah. so many. And there's even people <laughs> like Lasavig and Christensen that aren't, don't even seem to be in Slavisa's mind at yeah. the moment. You know, I'm not sure if Slavisa knows he's there. That he's got so many options. He's, gone on, he's gone on international duty. So, oh, I mean, yeah. you know. But as you say, there are a couple of positions where I think Chris Martin and Callas are the ones for me at the moment. If Well, we, we struggled so badly without Callas mm. for eight, nine games. And if Chris Martin went, we know that Matt Smith doesn't offer the same kind of pedigree up front. Yeah. We are looking light in certain positions and in certain key positions as well. Yeah, but you, we, we're lucky in the fact that our, I feel like a, lot, a number of our players, especially across the front four positions, can play in multiple roles. Mm. You could probably put a Luko up front as mm. Arsenal have with Sanchez and probably reap the same rewards just because of his pace and we can adapt to the way we play. We can play him in down the channel like we used to with Andy Johnson or... Could even at a stretch probably play Aita up front, who used to play as a support striker for Bastia yeah. as in a four four two as as a secondary striker. So he may have a bit of experience there. And again, he's quite pacey, so it might work out for us. But But that would be completely changing the system. Like yeah, do you know what exactly. I mean? It would it would it would we'd have to switch from a you know, the four one, two, three to a almost a four three three with two holders because you'd yeah. have to have three playing as a forward force as such, because there wouldn't be people running off him. Yeah. The, we do. They aren't exact. The the players we do have behind. They they're obviously not as strong as the the starting eleven that we do have. But it's. I think it is just about okay that we have someone like Matt Smith who has played for the club now for two years. Yeah. Uh, he's veteran. not. He's not. Sorry. He's a veteran, pretty much yeah. at the Fulham rotation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so at least he knows everyone. He knows the system and yeah. and stuff like that. But 
you kind of got to have someone who's a little bit average that's kind of happy to sit on the bench for the time being, aren't you? You, you can't have uh, someone who's really, really good sitting on the bench. This just, just doesn't happen. Mm. Uh, to interject here, right now we are recording this uh, podcast on Fulhamish. Oh, sorry, we're recording Fulhamish on Facebook Live. Uh, it's been a bit of an experiment for us today. And obviously, if you're listening now, uh, you can always go back and watch uh, the live feed if you want to see who we are. Listen to this exact episode again, but watching our faces at the same time. And we've had a few questions in already. We're going to take these little breaks uh, to answer your questions on Facebook Live. Hello, we haven't forgotten about you. Hello. Uh, so a couple of questions coming already. And also we've got Tom uh, kindly helping us out. Jack's brother. Do you want to quickly Tom wave? Tom, slide and, in and uh, wave. <laughs> he's, Makes he's, the room seem a lot bigger yeah. than it actually is. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We've got loads of them back here just helping <laughs> out behind the screen. Um, so Liam Burns coming with a good question. Oh, actually, Liam Curry has said, Farrell's nervously looking at the camera. Looks like he's haunted by rumours. Who's to say he's there unfounded? Who knows? Are, you, are you looking at the camera suspiciously? I feel I, like you've been fairly focused on the job in hand. Yeah, I've been looking at you guys. What rumours? No, but Liam Byrne uh, with a good question here. Uh, what do we think is feasible in the long run with regards to finishing this season? Uh, considering Newcastle and Brighton have been very strong, uh, is playoffs all that might be possible? We've, um, we've been talking about it a lot since the podcast started, the potential of the team. You know, we, when we first started, we started going on that slump. And I don't see... We've, we kept on talking about how good the, the team actually was. We were just waiting for that system to click. So definitely the potential is that we are actually a really good team. And now we're actually starting to see that potential. You know, we've now... We've now we've beaten Huddersfield, who are definitely a very good team. And they've had an excellent start to the season. Brentford, who are, who are no mugs by any, any stretch of the imagination. And we've rolled them over. Mm. So quite comfortably as well, both yeah. both sides. Even though you know the Brentford result wasn't as you know, exciting as, yeah. as, as the Huddersfield one, it was it was a very convincing performance yeah. of well, of that well, kind well, of the a... performance at Norwich against Norwich wasn't wholly negative. Mm. I mean, no, to come from two 0 down against what were the league leaders at that point was was a pretty good result. And Barnsley as well. So really, yeah. the Villa result is a little bit of an anomaly performance yeah. wise yeah. within maybe since October. I mean, yeah, as Farrell says, like the system is now starting to click and we were always confident that we could score a, a large number of goals and it was just defensively as a unit where mm. we were sort of lacking but now it looks like, especially with the recent performances, where we are moving up and down the pitch as a unit and we've got two clean shoots and a bounce which for Fulham is pretty much unheard <laughs> of. If, if anything, the signs are positive and like playoffs should be, if we carry on this way, like a minimum goal. Automatics may be a bit out of range now just because Newcastle is so good. And Brighton are looking... Brighton. The other thing is, yeah. I don't know if anyone else remembers, but there's a season where Crystal Palace were in the relegation zone at Christmas in the championship and yes. pretty much won every single game and got and, and clinched second spot on the last day of the season. I think it was, it was under Roy Keat. No. Kit Simons was the caretaker manager. But it was someone else. And then Ian Dowie Ian took Dowie over. took over, sorry. And Roy Keane did something similar with Ipswich, I think. I think Ipswich were bottom and he got them into the playoffs last, yeah. last game of the season. And I think that... What that shows is, you know, I think Newcastle are going to be too strong. I think they are going to pull away with it and run away with it. And I think, but you know, Brighton have Brighton have history of of bottling it, and they, you know, they do. They, they there's that scene, and people would say, look back at Leicester four seasons ago when they were absolutely screaming away at Christmas and lost out to Watford. lost out to Watford in the playoffs, even, and they only came into the playoffs via a last minute goal in the last mm. game of the season. The last and, two seasons, we've had Derby running away with it for the first like six mm. months or so and yeah. then all of a sudden they're 
falling out of the playoffs. I don't think Brighton are going to capitulate, but I don't think that they're also going to. I don't think they're going to hang on Newcastle's co- coattails for too much longer. I think Newcastle will genuinely run like steam away. With oh it. yeah, absolutely. and they already are. I think they're churning out results without actually sometimes playing all that well. Yeah. They're, they're almost too good, I think, at this point for this league. That's a that's a team that I think would probably. I know obviously we turned them over first game, but I think that's a team that would. Challenge, not challenge, but would survive in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah 100%. the Tweeny squad that Norwich have, where it's like a midway, it's sort of not Premier League standard, but sort of too good for the Championship. Yeah. Theirs is much too good for the Championship, and then probably mid to bottom yeah. half Premier League, I would say. I would think, just they, I think they'd survive. So, oh, yeah, better than yeah. Swansea and Hull for sure. And yeah. on Sky uh, on Friday, because uh, I wasn't there at the game, get the violins <laughs> out. Um, <laughs> Hashtag get Sammy a ticket. <laughs> it didn't work <laughs> didn't at work, all. Did it? I, I, think I might still have my scrunched up one in my pocket if you want that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I offered to do every household chore and it just didn't do anything for me. Um, but the fortunate thing was I did get to see some good analysis, for once, good analysis on Sky. Peter Beagree really speaking some sense. And the presenter, forget his name, uh, asked how far can this Fulham team go? What should they be aiming for? And their instant answers were playoffs. Playing that well, if that, that's what they're capable of, there's no reason they shouldn't be in the playoffs. But I think there's maybe this self-doubt amongst us as fans and hopefully it's not amongst the players and the management, but it, there must be a little feel, bit of it, it there. It feels completely different on the pitch now, just four or five weeks after Villa than it did on the pitch that day. Like It seems as if Jokanovic has really said something to the guys to be like, look, we can do this, believe in mm. yourselves. And they really have, especially with the past two results where they've really started to kick on. It's like we, we believe we can do it mm. and we're showing it for once. Malone's interview after the game was very much on that kind of tan- tangent as well. I was watching it back watching it back today and he was like, he's like, there's absolutely no reason why we can't be looking at the top of the playoffs. you know." And he's like, if we can turn our home form around to the same extent that we turn our away form, then we'll be flying. He's like, I we'll can't imagine that Slavica is going to be happy with less than playoffs. No, really. no. he's not he's, there to be an also no. round in the championship. He's an ambitious manager that took yeah. a step down, admittedly from Israel, but from a Champions League club yeah. Yeah. Um, to the championship. And he wants to make it to the top. I still don't fully understand the reasons he left Watford. It was all to do with money. and That family are nuts, aren't they? Yeah. 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 They keep, they keep <laughs> changing. The pot size. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think... Uh, it's interesting to see really where this team can go. And I think just the last two performances have really put it back on the map, whereas maybe before the, even the Huddersfield game, we were going, oh, like, there's just too much inconsistency. But yeah. the last two games have shown us if we can keep that up. And maybe the international breaks come at a bit of a bad time. Yeah, absolutely. Like the first one did as well. The first international break, well, we were sitting second and unbeaten. Mm. Come back and we're just a completely different team. But then... The international break does give us a chance to keep refining the system if we want to on the pitch and then I'm sure they will have one if not two behind closed doors friendlies where we can have a run out whereas it might not be up to championship standard we at least get a chance to experiment. Wednesday have a few internationals of their own as well so they're not going to be there um, all at the training ground maybe like if we were playing a lower end championship team that don't have too many internationals. Well that's the thing the other thing is that you know we said we've called those four players that are out I think it was from the starting 11 it was those three it was Martin Callas and Johansson but also I think Michael Maddell's out. I think they're the four that I spotted going, okay, they're the ones that need... But it allows it allows Slavisa to try and bed, at least, or try and at least bed some other players into that system. And, you know, to I was surprised. I don't think Iceland have a game because Sigurds, Sigurdsson somehow been dropped from the Iceland score because I don't think he's going anywhere. Okay, interesting. So it does allow, you know, for Slavisa to be like, okay, look, when Kalas is here, we can do this. 
he's, you know, to look at players like Tim Ream and, and, and go, why can't you sit in there next to Sigurdsson and do the same thing and, and drill that and, you know, maybe try and embed someone like Yozabed into that Johansson role where he might be able to, you know, stretch his legs and, and move forward and be like, look, you know, Stefan's playing brilliantly at the moment, but you have no idea what could happen to him on the international break. He could get in and, you know, there's your chance. And we were saying that, was it two weeks ago, that someone like of Yozabed's calibre isn't going to want to be coming in here and sitting sitting on the bench and not getting in the squad at points. And I think that that role that's kind of opened up as a link man between the the striker and then could could suit him. And, you know, I don't... I've watched him to a point, but not to the extent that Ben has. But it's more... You know, if he can then sit in that role and he can prove to Slavisa on this, you know, during this time that he could fit into that system and work with it, then it starts to move forward, perhaps. And, you know, that's a that's a good thing, I think. I do think that's what they've done with Aluko, because when he, when he first started playing for us and he was playing out wide, he just did not have the legs to keep going up and down the field yep. all day. Um, it, it screamed out to me when I was uh the Burton game. He was just so tired after an hour. Yeah, he just could not get yeah. up and down the pitch. We spoke about that, didn't we, on the pod? Yeah, the whole team was looking like quite languid after an hour. Exactly. But Johansson, when we when we first saw him against, was it against Borough his first game? Yeah. Because we were saying how good he was, but after an hour, he again he was leggy. But now he's charging around with like yeah. a massive engine on him for ninety plus minutes. Like we, are, he can carry on now. The whole team looks fitter and sharper. Yeah. And really bought into this sort of infrastructure that Jukanovic wants. Johansson is the Luka Modric of the championship. This is my call. I'm going with this. Well, Slav was at the Bernabeu to see <laughs> Correct, the, uh, you know, the new uh, Stefan Johansson uh, in action at the Bernabeu on Saturday, on Sunday. Do we have any ideas what he might yeah, have been I'd, doing there? Yeah, well, um, he used to play for Oviedo and uh, a couple of other uh, Spanish teams, including Tenerife. And he also um, lived in Madrid for a few years before uh, moving back over here to manage a couple of sides. So Madrid's basically his home. Okay. So that's probably why he's out there. And the fact that Real Madrid wanted him to pl- replace Zidane because of our sparkling form. Right, yeah. Well, that was... <laughs> I think it's because uh, Real Madrid... If we have to do a swap, I, I think it would be okay. Well, it'd be interesting. <laughs> I think Real Madrid play the exact same formation that we do. I've had a I've had a little look at it today. Wow. With um... <laughs> show, show that on Facebook. I'm going to have to bring yeah, this yeah, up to the camera. Show everyone your detailed uh, diagram, Jack. <laughs> By the way, he's not wearing a Liverpool shirt. That was my first thought. Cool. And um, take a picture of him. Put it on the Twitter. Okay. So let's have a quick look. Right. So you've... I think they're the masters of playing this sort of four-one-two-three with a with a roaming midfielder, and often mm. that is Modric. But at the weekend, it happened to be Kovacic. Mm. And I think that obviously we're not going to have the same players. <laughs> But, <laughs> but, basically but, we're the championship Real Madrid. That's what I'm saying, basically, is that we're the championship Real Madrid. I think, I think Ryan Fredericks is better than Carver. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> I'm going to put it out there. Well, Luca's definitely better than Bale, so we're on to a winner there. So basically I've decided that he was going there to understand the, the nuances of the system in their purest form, shall we say. Okay, interesting. I mean, uh, I think Ben's was slightly more realistic, but he's just got, you know some people he knows out there and he was just off for a couple of days but yeah off to just um, you know pick up a few tips from Real Madrid well why not learn from the best <laughs> Yeah. Could you, could you imagine uh, they decide to change the form somewhere in the season and then he goes to like Gareth Bale or Ronaldo and is like well you're not liking the new system we play the your old <laughs> system <laughs> I was thinking you know we'll see as we'll see that Real Madrid switch it up like to a 4-4-2 halfway through the season suddenly Matt Smith's back in the team we're like, oh, what's going on <laughs> nightmares come true <laughs> so there was lots of players uh, that we could have picked out uh, from Friday's performance 
the man of the match, though, was given to Scott Malone, which has proved a bit of a debate in some quarters. Uh, he, he did, from the naked eye, have what looked like a terrific performance, bombing up and down the wings. Um, his energy knows no bounds, uh, pretty much. His final ball sometimes left a little bit to be desired. Um, do you think he was the deserved man of the match? The fact that we can just kind of debate about it for a little while shows how good the whole team was. We can pick pretty much half the team as standout performers. Um, you could argue that even David Button should have man of the match for that one excellent save from Josh Clark. Um, I think we should talk about that at some point, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he had an excellent game. He, he definitely had an excellent game. I'm, I'm surprised he was able to stand after the amount of yards he, he ran. He ran 20 kilometres. I looked at the stats today. Really? 20k. I don't think I've ran 20 kilometres in my life, let alone through nine minutes. <laughs> Probably not 20k. Yeah, he ran a half marathon during the game. To be fair, he's wow. got a great engine on him. And for someone that's, oh, let me put it nicely, as technically limited mm. as he is, he does offer quite a lot to the side. Yeah. I think it's just the work rate. The whole team is is built around work rate, and he really has that. Yeah. Um, he did actually put like a couple of. Really, really good, good balls in. really good crossing. Yeah, yeah, I Unfortunately, I don't think I think like Aluko or Ke um, Martin decided to actually sort of go for the um, pullback. Yeah. Um, just before Malone actually put some. I mean, there were so many that went right across the six-yard area that the keeper didn't. It was in that classic corridor of uncertainty that waiting for a um, someone to tap it in. I was looking at the tweets from Cardiff fans earlier about Malone. I was just sort of scrolling through the feed and a couple of them, Patrick James said, I'm uncomfortable with how well Scott Malone is doing at Fulham. <laughs> Tom Reek, how come Scott Malone was so poor for us yet has been superb at Fulham? And my favourite one was just Mitch Foley who wrote Scott Malone and then just the Flames icon three times. <laughs> His thing was like, Cardiff fan. I was like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know. To be fair, Jim was pretty vocal. I didn't expect this to be. Gentleman, Gentleman Jim was very vocal about this, the swap deal on the commentary and he was like, We've by far got the best deal. You know, Jazz Richards was very, very shit last year, should yeah. we say. Um, and even the Cardiff fans, although they're glad to have him back, like I think they realise that we've somehow got the best of this deal. And I'm surprised that we did because apparently he was terrible. But um, in other, in terms of other players, Johansson, absolutely stand out. Aluko yeah. was great. And Ryan Fredericks as well was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know what it was. Maybe Malone just happened to get on the end of a few more balls uh, than Ryan Fredericks. I think we just Ryan, went down the left more. Yeah. yeah. Ryan Fredericks yeah, can't be far off the distance, Mark. The, I don't know if you managed to find that out. I didn't. So. I just saw Malone's one when yeah. I was looking at these tweets. The coaches obviously told the Brentford players to like press our um, defensive midfielders a lot more. And that gave uh, Malone and to a lesser extent Fredericks so much so space much down that so much space down the wing. Um, and I don't know if Josh Clark or uh, Sawyers just couldn't get close to it. Close to any sort of tackle on our, on uh, McDonald or Johansson, that they were so easily able to be picked out. Yeah, I think like alternatively as well, we I've never seen us press as high and as uh. as as ferociously as we did the, the, in the Brentford game. Like the amount of times we won the ball back in their final third or or the middle third, like in their half, was just like un unbelievable compared to what we were doing at the start of the season where we were quite conservative, quite standoffish. Now we were like ferociously mm. winning the ball back, which allowed McDonald that space to pick out Fredericks or pick out Malone. And, and that was great. And it also allowed us to 
especially in the second half when Brentford were laying into us, to just to get a foot on the ball and just relax and feel we're like, yes, we know how to manage the game. And we've done that even throughout the intense periods where they were all over us. The you only can... thing I'd say was about, you know, going back to that intense period is the only thing, the only complaint I could have had about the entire game was that we, because we didn't put those chances away the first half and we did make that one mistake which let Josh Clark through and bum, made a brilliant save. Yeah, but it would have been totally completely changed had Josh Clark scored and with 20 minutes left they had all the momentum and the entire feeling around the ground had changed and that's the only worry that the only thing that I was I would look back at and I was like well he should have scored it's a terrible touch from Josh Clark on the edge of the box if you look at back he mm. he completely like gets his feet mixed up he loses the ball and he has to take it wide and have a crack if he lets that run in front of him he's one on one and you know he's been playing really well and that yeah. is a bit of a worry going forward if we played that well again there will be teams though if we only score one or even two that will come and peg us back with unlikely goals and we won't get our just desserts we have to take some more of our chances and be more clinical but then there, there are teams at the top you know City against uh, Middlesbrough yeah, on Saturday um, you know one of the best <clears throat> teams in the world just beat Barcelona and they couldn't finish their chances so it's not too much to beat ourselves up about but we look no, much more assured defensively than we ever did I feel personally. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I just, it was just that like one moment. Yeah. I was just like, the whole defence just went walkies for some reason. I feel like it was that, that, that partnership between Sigurdsson and Kalas is that they're both really unafraid. Like, they're both quite up for taking responsibility upon themselves to deal with the situation in the right way. And they're also brilliant in the air. And Kalas more than Sigurdsson are like brilliant on the, on the floor and like distribution wise. Um, I think they're, they're both like a really solid pairing. If we lose one of them, then it'll but we'll go back to hacking the ball away. Mm. This time we're playing it out. And we talked about Scott Malone and you said all those opinions on Cardiff and I asked you guys, um, we were speaking before, about players that have come to Fulham with a low reputation and turned their careers around here and it seems a little bit like what Scott Malone's doing. I mean, it's still early days for him here. But um, I was wondering if you could think of any other players that have come here with a terrible reputation uh, at other clubs and then have made it at Craven Cottage. Well, you're Hansen to a point. Obviously had a brilliant first season at Celtic and then had an absolutely diabolical second season and they were all... couldn't wait to get him out. And even this season, at the start of the season, when Brendan Rodgers tried to bed him back in, he you know, couldn't get his foot down, couldn't start playing the ball and it looks like he's got a new lease of life under, under the system. That might have just been the system that, that they were playing and it changed obviously when Rodgers came in. So there's that to thinking. My opinion when I thought of this question um, is I feel like Scott Malone has a lot of similarities to John Pantsill yeah. and how he, when West Ham fans, I mean they were offering to drive him over London and drop him off at Motspur Park and I mean, I know we, we've spoken about this before, a lot of it was the system that Roy Hodgson played. It made many a right-back uh, look half-decent. Stephen Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> he's someone that came in uh, under similar kind of pretenses and we thought, oh, God, who have we bought here? And yeah. became a cult hero, really. I was going to say uh, another guy that came in in the Hodgson era um, was uh, Aaron Hughes. Yes, Sanchez. Sanchez signed Oh, OK, yeah, or Sanchez. Sanchez, but then used Hodgson. under Hodgson a lot. Yeah, yeah. and then... And, Newcastle fans didn't think too much of him. Uh, he mm. got in the system next to Hangland, another guy who we thought would come over and not do too much. And they were a, a, a brilliant pairing, weren't they? Thames Barrier. The Thames Barrier. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> what a nickname. Yeah, brilliant. You could name a host of Hodgson signings that... Oh, not, not even Hodgson signings, the players that we already had 
who we thought were so below par. I, the one that springs to mind is Chris Baird, mm. who was very, very below par. And Hodgson came in and then all of a sudden he's like, he could have joined that Thames barrier <laughs> in front of them. Yeah. Um, you know, well, he, he moved him to central midfield, like what a masterstroke. Yeah. Yeah. And no one expected that. <laughs> that you know, that in, game against Juventus. In Chris Baird's first season, he was suspended for more games than he played. Really? Interesting fact about Chris Baird. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, Murphy's another one. Yeah. Murphy, yeah. Murphy, yeah. I mean, what Murphy played at quite a high level. For, um, but for people were starting to yeah. see him drop off. And I think another one that of that Murphy mould where people were like, oh, maybe he's past it. Maybe he's not going to make it is Karagounis. When we signed Karagounis, yeah. Yeah. everyone was like, was oh, yeah, that bloke that. that won the Euros in 2004. Like, what was that, <laughs> eight years ago? And he was older then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he seemed like, but he became, you know, a bit of a blood and thunder player. Like, we, we liked Karagounis. He gave his heart, he put his heart on the line. The amount of players that we were linked with under Hodgson, we were like, we're, we're better than that, we're better than that. And then I remember he took two or three transfer windows to sign Dixon Atuhu, and then eventually he did. And <laughs> to get his main target. Yeah, exactly. one and we Dixon Atuhu. We were like, well, that's really <laughs> underwhelming, but he was an integral part of that team. There's a reason fans aren't in charge of transfers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At the end yeah. of the day. So there was this great story, chaps, uh, that came out over the weekend on Twitter. Um, there was a guy and he texted his mate saying that if Fulham beat Brentford and Tom Kearney scores, he would get a Tom Kearney tattoo. Now, we all know what happened on Friday. He must have been thinking, cool, this is great. 1-0, 1-0, don't have to get the tattoo. <laughs> he must have been the only person. I think he was in the ground from what I saw on his Twitter. Uh, he must have been the only person in his ground going, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> anyone but Kearney. Um, so it happened, and uh, but he seemed good to his word. Good to his word to an extent that I thought a little bit too keen to get the tattoo done, as if yeah. he might have been happy uh, about it happening. Um, but he's done it, and he has got Ain't Nobody Like Tom Kearney with a couple of little musical notes um, on his arm. Do you reckon? I thought it was his leg. Was it his leg? I thought it might have been his leg. I thought it might have been the back of the calf. Oh, I was going to say, skinny legs. Mm, maybe. Okay, well, he's got it tattooed to him On him anyway, somewhere. In a fairly visible oh, yeah. uh, area of his body. Um, so I wondered, um, what Fulham chant would you get tattooed if you had to? I mean, we could always, you could always put a claim down uh, if you're really feeling brave. Well, I think, like, firstly, like, well done to the guy for going through it. Yeah, 100%. I definitely, we I definitely rate wouldn't. That. Oh, I'd, have yeah, I, yeah. I'd have gone into hiding for three days yeah. and just deleted every trace. He's got quite a lot of um, publicity on Facebook from the Fulham team. Scott Malone, yes. Scott Malone was going absolutely mental about it. So he was loving it. Kearney gave him a shout out yeah. on, on his Instagram as well, I believe. That must be weird because don't forget, Kearney <laughs> is famous, but he's not like... He's also, like, like, he's also like the same age as us. I know, he's 24, <laughs> he's my age. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, don't look a day over 24. Oh. <laughs> um, it must be weird to get your name tattooed on someone that you don't know, but that's, a, that's another discussion for another day. Uh, Jack, I was assuming yours would have to be Ryan Tunnicliffe. Yeah, I actually thought I might go amusing with it and get the Intertoto will win it again as, uh, as, my, as my one. Uh, the other one that I thought of, which actually was you know, slightly more on a more serious note, was um, in the start of the Al Fayed song that he recorded back in the day that he brought the game, there was a thing that was like, for us, there is no grey, only black and white. And I, was like, I was like, that's quite like... <laughs> that's the kind of thing that someone would genuinely get tattooed on them. I was like, that's and a, a picture of Al Fayed as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, what um, I might now get tattooed, given your recent revelations, is we are Real Madrid. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good. Um, Ben, any any particular thoughts on... I mean, you already uh, do sport a Fulham tattoo. I do, yeah. Uh, but if you had to get a player's chant on there, maybe um, new or old. I mean, for, you're not committed to this. No, uh, well, um, <laughs> I would probably go for uh, a Clint Dempsey or Moussa Dembele chant, I reckon. Um, just because Which they were... One? Not the second one, <laughs> surely. <laughs> After six months of brilliant football. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, um, the first Moussa Dembele, definitely. Um, just because the way he used to play, and like, he's by far and away probably my favourite Fulham player of, of recent history, for sure. So I think I'd, I'd probably uh, have a tribute to him somewhere. Well, I'm not sure my girlfriend would like it. She doesn't like this one already, so I'm in enough trouble as it Run, is. Runs rings around you. <laughs> uh, Farrell? Um, I was trying to think about it, and um, although I've got some... Fulham favourites from recent memory, you know, Moussa Dembele, certainly, yeah. and McBride. <laughs> but they've all got pretty poor chance, to be honest. <laughs> so I'd, the only one that kind of stuck in my mind, and I just could not get out of my mind, was... And even though he wasn't, like, my favourite player, I would just get, like, do, 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 Carlos Bocanegra on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always stuck in my mind. Uh, talking of those shit chants we've got, what is that random clap thing that we all do? Like... Yeah, yeah that, that one. I that, don't know. For as long as, for as, long as if I've been... If you know what that is on Facebook Live, please let us know. No, it's yeah. the bloke that bangs the back of the stand. He always does it. He always starts by banging the back of the Hammersmith Yeah, but where does it come from? It's the... Oh, it's, I think that's it goes along a... to the Great Escape. Like, da, da, da. No, I think no, people have... It's no, different. I, I, for as long as I've been going to, to Graven Cottage, um, I know what it it's, always, it's always been there. Really? It's always been there. In recent memory in the past sort of like five or six years, that's when people have started doing the... As soon as some, some people go... People have gone, oh, for God's sake, not that thing again, and yeah. then started doing the... Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I was about to say, it's the start of Carnival de Paris, which is that... Not, da, 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 no, da, da. Yeah, it is. If you listen to the Carnival de Paris, it starts with a drummer going... Boom, boom, no, boom, it goes... Boom, boom. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, no, that's something else. That's a no, different no, one. That's, that's a different that's one. That's Samba de Janeiro. No, that's, no, no, oh, no, that's, that's the, the, that's the version of it from the 98 World Cup. The original version of it is from, like, 94. This is a football podcast, Exactly, absolute knowledge. you're not listening Yeah, it's... That's the Samba version. There you are. That's, there's, there's a feature. Talksport can nick that. Desert Island chance. Yeah, yeah exactly. There you go. What about um, who put the ball in the Blackburn net? That's the, like, oh, that's the yeah. first like major event I can remember sort of happening of Shawnee Davis yeah. doing the little dance in front. I think yeah. you had the picture of Shawnee Davis doing the dance in front of the fans as well <laughs> underneath it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking... What about or, you, Sammy? Or, uh, put, do you know what? Farrell's kind of stolen mine. Mm. I was going to actually say Carlos Bocanegra for, <laughs> for little to no reason other than it's just a really catchy chant that yeah. we made to do the Bocanegra. Um, but I did think maybe of a moment that I remember just really kind of captured me would be who put the ball in the Pompey net. Yeah, and Danny Murphy's always been. Yeah. That's the only thing time I've ever stuck to something is uh, before that game. I said to my dad, "Whoever scores the winning goal, and I don't care if it's Stalteri, they'll be on my back of my shirt for the next season." So he's the only person I've ever got on the back <coughs> of my shirt was Danny Murphy for that particular goal. I went through this horrible run of getting Fulham shirts and putting someone on the back of them, and then the next window they would leave. <laughs> so I had the Cashway. Um, I had Cashway. That's a brilliant you shout. Are such I a football that. hipster. Gira, uh, Duff, and they all left probably within twelve months maximum of me getting them on the shirt. You still see a lot of McCormacks uh, around this season. But that's his I've son. Noticed. Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, um, I think we're coming uh, to the end of this week's podcast. We haven't got time uh, to finish our Forgotten Fulham this week. Just been uh, a lot to cram in, uh, including all the Facebook stuff we've done as well. But we will conclude that on the podcast after the Sheffield Wednesday game. Um, but it's been good fun today. Thank you for all of you that have got involved uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, it's been excellent having you along uh, with your questions. Uh, go back and watch that because there's little bits that we haven't recorded in this podcast uh, that have gone up on the Facebook page. Go give that a like as well. Uh, we're careering uh, towards 150 likes, uh, which still sounds pretty small time, but uh, seeing, seeing it was zero uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's not a bad effort. So, uh, chaps, thank you. Get on the uh, website. And get on the website, fullamish.co.uk. Brilliant article by Jack. Uh, and more to come. Uh, yeah, lots more to as come. Well. Yep. Uh, we will see you after the international break. So, have a lovely fortnight, everyone. Enjoy. And we will reconvene later. See you guys later. Okay, see you later. Right. See you. Doodles.